Welcome to the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast, a podcast created to inform patients, families, and caregivers about important health transformation topics. Since the 2001 Crossing the Quality Chasm Report by the Institute of Medicine, our nation's healthcare system has recognized its need to improve quality of care by way of six important aims that make healthcare safe, efficient, effective, patient-centered, timely, and equitable. But we cannot hope to cross this chasm and achieve these aims until we make fundamental changes to the whole healthcare system. All levels of this work require dramatic improvements from the patient's experience. So this podcast is dedicated to you, the voices most underutilized resource in healthcare, our patients' voices. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Natasha Washington, president and founder of ATW Health Solutions and sponsor for the Patient Partner Innovation Community. Follow the PPIC community online at atwhealth.com. Well, uh, I am so excited uh, to have you join me today, uh, Chantel, and I want you to uh, take some time to introduce yourself to uh, today's audience. All right. Happy to be here, Natasha. Thank you for having me on. Um, So I am Dr. Chantel Frazier. I'm a medical sociologist by trade. Um, And this year I launched and have started building my company, Anansi, um, that focuses on data research and mental health for black and brown communities. Um, so what that means is, you know, I'm a researcher, I have a research background. Um, so I have been focusing in on, you know, the, the literature that actually exists and what should exist and what is needed um, to create real solutions for um, improving mental health um, for Black and Brown communities, for creating tools and toolkits and things that actually work, um, and assessing what's out there and what can be improved for, you know, real world impact. So I will be honest with you, uh, uh, Dr. Frazier, when I uh, first um, uh, saw that you had launched, I was um, I was intrigued by the name and I would love for you to uh, share uh, exactly what does Anansi mean? Um, Yes. Tell me about the definition. I remember reading about it and it was so powerful. So tell me about that. (laughs) Yeah. So this is, you know, one of those things that I did to really signal that this was for us. Um, And actually, I've gotten a lot of comments on, you know, are you like from different areas of Africa? Or are you from like the Jamaica or the Caribbean or like other places? Um, Because Anansi is sort of um, ubiquitous throughout the Black diaspora. Like I grew up hearing stories about Anansi the spider, Anansi the god, um, the god of stories. Actually, that's who he is. Um, so sort of in, in um, mythology, 
um, an, in a con myth specifically, Anansi is a god of stories who creates opportunity and gains advantage through creativity and wit. Um, and so it's sort of to signal that, you know, this is for and about us, um, but also about, you know, creating space for that innovation, for that creativity, for that storytelling, um, because the way that you convince people to do better, to improve things, the way that you communicate data and research in a way that is really compelling, um, the way that you drive action uh, is through stories. And it's, it's always been the case. It's why Anansi exists and is so popular and so well known you know, Jesus spoke in parables for the same reason. Um, if you really, really want the needle to move, you have to be good at storytelling and at building a narrative and at, you know, teaching people things through um, conversation and, and through being able to sort of create that imagery and demonstration. So part of what I do um, is not just, you know, collect the statistics and feed them back to you, but really say, okay, so here's the story behind this. Here's how this matters. And here's how you convince people, you know, to listen and move and improve in these ways. Yeah, that's that's really huge and admirable, and and I think where um, our work aligns, meaning the the work of HW Health Solution and what you do with Anansi, is understanding how meaningful and how powerful um, uh, work is uh, around storytelling, and how even in storytelling you're able to capture key data. Um, and information to be able to use that in in research, and so um, uh, I I just loved when I when when I because I hadn't heard of uh, I hadn't heard the word Anansi used before, uh, and so that that certainly was a powerful choice in naming. So let's talk a little bit about meaningful work because that's another thing that I think we share. Um, you know, work for us here at ATW Health Solutions is very you know, um, purposeful, right? Mm -hmm. um, when I think about, uh, you know, just the the organization and, um, you know, the work that we're doing, I think about our company, you know, um, core values, you know, we believe in putting people first, you know, like charity begins at home and then it spreads abroad, right? So we have to be who we show up you know, to the rest of the world, we have to be that mm -hmm. at, at home as a priority. And then also, um, you know, being bold and inspirational and innovative and courageous in our work. And I think that's something that um, I easily align with what you're doing in your work, uh, because I do think it's all of that. I think it's inspirational. I think it's innovative. I think it's courageous. And even moreover, I think it's it's meaningful and purposeful work. Can you talk a little bit about um, your rationale or the purpose behind this? Like why? Like why yes. the focus on mental health, black and brown communities and data? Yes, of course. Um, and so it's because, um, you know, I am a Black woman and have moved through the world as a Black woman and have encountered, you know, life that way and know lots of people who, the, you know, the, the conversation about mental health um, has really only been driven forward recently, um, sort of tragically as a result of COVID, right? So suddenly everyone was sort of alone and a lot of people were going into hospitals and through healthcare alone. Um, people were 
working from home instead of being in offices with other people, kids were learning at home. Um, it created all these additional burdens on parents having to figure out how to balance work and school and childcare. Um, and so all of the, the mental health concerns that already existed and things were already sort of getting worse. We have statistics now from 2019 um, and 2020 that we didn't have before because there's usually such a lag in, in publicly available data. Um, but you know, things that were already getting worse, the suicide epidemic, all of that um, really came to a head and people were also dealing with loneliness and isolation and financial stress and health stress, um, which a lot of people don't really talk about, like being sick or the fear of being sick and the anxiety around that and having to manage that. A lot of times from afar, dealing with family members who are going through things, uh, that can take a real toll on your mental health. So we were suddenly having these conversations which is great, but also we were having them as a result of this, you know, mass trauma that we all experienced together. Um, so I've been working in the mental health and mental health adjacent space um, for most of my career. I actually started at uh, the Institute for Vets and Military Families and did a little bit of work there um, and then moved to a small VSO in DC where we got some legislation passed to evaluate the uh, mental health programs at the VA. Um, so I've been having these conversations for a while with you know people from American uh, Foundation for Suicide uh, Prevention and um, you know APA and, and people who have really be, been in the field and like treating and talking about mental health and mental health evaluation and, and programs and what's available. Um, so for me, I've seen all this from the research perspective, but I've also seen it from the personal perspective of like being a mom and dealing with like perinatal anxiety during my first pregnancy and all of that and seeing a therapist and just like the journey that it is to find a therapist <laughs> you actually click with um, and who actually knows about the things you need them to know about to be able to talk with you. Um, what resources are there out there for, you know, just your well-being and sort of managing yourself um, in addition to getting that kind of support? Like I've, you know, done a lot of it and have also, you know, had friends go through mental health crises and things. Um, and so the more I experienced this, uh, the more I saw the lack of real tools and solutions and things that were evidence-based and data-driven and available widely. Um, I have a newsletter for Anansi that goes out. And every time I try to find an article, you know, specifically with research for like either where they oversampled black people or had like a significant number of black people in the clinical research, mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to find. It's yeah. hard to find because yeah. no one is doing it. Mm -hmm. um, so one, we need to focus more and get, you know, articles and studies and things done. Um, but we also need to be really solutions oriented because it helps no one, like as a sociologist, you know, I've known about social determinants of health since, I don't know, 2002, maybe before that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's nice that we're talking about that now, but we still have so many studies and things that like 
you know, oh, being black is a significant predictor of X. And it's like, well, it's not just being black guys. It's all of the other stuff that being black is a, a sort of stand-in variable for, right? We really need to get at the aspects of poverty and living in a safe neighborhood or not living in a safer neighborhood and exercising or not being able to exercise because you can't go for a jog or having access to healthy food and what that means. Um, I read a study recently that said, uh, what was it? Uh, women who eat organic foods um, have better um, pregnancy outcomes. Pregnant women who eat an organic diet have better pregnancy outcomes than women who eat just sort of regular non-organic food, right? Like if you don't go get organic fruits and vegetables. Uh, there is not a lot of evidence that it's actually the organic food that is the determining factor there. And as a sociologist, I can tell you it's probably the fact that these people have more money and can buy and all organic diets, right? Or they're more likely to live in a safer neighborhood because they have a higher socioeconomic status, or they maybe have, uh, they're going to hospitals where there's a higher quality of care and doctors are trained to, you know, get them in to see a nutritionist or something, right? Like it's not, the thing is not the thing. It's the context surrounding the thing. And we're not really very good at measuring that. Um, yeah. So that's really why I've gone on this journey is I looked around um, when I left my previous job and was just sort of figuring out what to do next. And as far as I could see, there was no one focused on mental health data and research in Black people and Brown communities. Yeah. And that is a huge gaping hole. So, you know, with my background, I can definitely do some productive and meaningful work there. Um, so I wanted to start there. This is this is really powerful. So um, in this segment, what I really want, what I want to focus on is, you know, reimagining healthcare. And and when we uh, when I think about reimagining healthcare and mental health, and then what you've just shared, there's so many layers to unpack to your point. Yeah. Um, you know, when you talk, when you talk about, you know, it's not just being black, but it's also the context of all those other variables, right, that are adjacent or, or, or bring context to, right, the experiences of um, a black people, because, you know, one person doesn't equal all people. But mm -hmm. what we do also know about healthcare and even in research you know, um, we're not good at measuring either or. I mean, when I think about, you know, just working with hospitals and health systems and even from a research standpoint, um, you know, working with data that you can stratify confidently, you know, by race, ethnicity, you know, and other life experiences, you know, that we, we still haven't 100% got there, let alone. Yeah you know, be able to now take that data and say, okay, you know, let's examine the experiences of, of Black people, break that out by ethnicity, because you have, you know, to your point, um, those that are, you know, of Jamaican descent versus those that are, you know, maybe Bahamian. And so at the end of the day, you know, you do want to get to begin to uncover more context around, you know, what people are, are, are experiencing. And tell me this, um, as we're reimagining healthcare, right, and in all mm -hmm. the experiences that you have had, what do you see as that vision 
moving forward? What do you see, you know, in this mental health space that you'd like to uncover through your work? Yeah, so this is something that I haven't actually talked about before, but I do a lot of um, my, actually my dissertation was on reproductive health outcomes and destructural violence matter. And so it was, you know, your, your social environment and whether or not you live in a safe neighborhood, low SES, um, all sorts of things like that. Um, but it was focused on reproductive health and I've actually focused a lot of the work I have done um, and been interested in my whole career on women's health. Um, so I've been really interested um, and like intrigued by all of the evidence that we have surrounding doulas and the importance of the doula in better pregnancy outcomes and better maternal and child health outcomes. Um, and so just having that advocate there makes so much sense and so much additional impact because it's not, and it, it should never have been like patient versus doctor, but in a lot of times it is, right? And in a lot of situations you go in and it's like, okay, well, the doctor told me this and I either accept it completely and they're in charge or, you know, I push back against it because I'm like, oh, I read this. Um, and you've heard about like doctors getting annoyed with patients or maybe not responding very well. Um, and so there are all these trainings out there about, you know, how to navigate this patient doctor relationship. And the doula is this really great third party who's there and knows a lot about childbirth and delivery and all of that and can sort of inform, um, but never pushes a pregnant woman to like make a certain choice, right? A doula is there to be your advocate and say, and look at you and say, you know, these are your options. You know, here's what the doctor has said. Here's what I've seen in my experience. Women have chosen X, Y, Z. Here's what tends to happen. Here's what you can expect. Um, they're like, <laughs> if doctors had the time um, and as part of their training were sort of trained as patient advocates too, like a doctor would be able to do this, but mostly doctors are limited to, to you know, five, 10 minutes with a patient and then they have to go. So really they're, you know, getting out the medical information. Um, and then you as the patient have to like parse through that and figure it out. So the doula is really your help helper and your advocate and doulas have had a significant impact on maternal outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, everything I have read and seen is like, you know, everything's approved when you have a doula there in the room with you. Um, so I have this sort of idea about, you know, for mental health, we should really have someone who's in that role too, but I don't know what that looks like. Um, but like someone who knows about the processes, right? Because I have friends who are therapists. And when I was trying to find my therapist, I went to them and asked them lots of questions and they were able to, uh, you know, inform me and point me in the right direction and say, you know, look for this and this and ask about this. And, you know, after your first session, you'll expect X, Y, and Z. Um, but I really think if we had someone like a doula helping people through like mental health appointments, maybe like figuring out what kind of medication they're on, because, you know, there's also not a lot of continuation or follow-up you know if you go to a therapist and you don't click with them a lot of people just don't go back to therapy and that's not great that's not what we want um or people take a medication and it makes them feel kind of funny and they don't want to take it anymore and there's no one there to have a conversation with about well you know 
try to be on it for this long, or here's what you can expect, or if this happens, call me right away. But either way, let's talk in like a week and see how you're feeling, right? Like that mediating character who is on your side and your advocate and knows enough about the medical stuff to keep you informed and empowered um, and help you manage that with your doctor. Um, something like that would be really innovative and amazing and I think really great to see and I think we'd have better outcomes. Yeah, I love it. I'm gonna tell you from my own personal experience as you were speaking, um, you know, I'm thinking about uh, my role as a caregiver, right? And how as a caregiver, um, you know, managing someone who lives uh, with uh, mental illness diagnosis, um, how, um, you know, I've learned so much about you know, uh, which, which drugs have been effective um, when the doses have changed, what that yeah. looks like. Um, I, you know, I can, I can pretty much, you know, look in the eyes and say, okay, something's going on here. Let's have a conversation. Right. Um, because I have been an active participant and caregiver, you know, with this person, but they live independently. They do everything independent. Um, you know, uh, you know, actually, you know, is, in school right now, but just like any other disease state, you know, they have struggled over the years, really um, attempting to manage that. But as a caregiver, I have been able to serve um, as that proxy to your point. So, you know, you know, in the ER, I'm, I am, you know, working with the physician and the nurses to say, okay, here's, you know, what's been going on. Here's the way, you know, he typically responds or here's, and, and what I have found honestly, is that there's such, um, variance in terms of the health system, mm -hmm. um, acknowledging caregivers. Yep. And, and so to your, to, you know, to what many of us have experienced, you know, you have so many providers that would rather dictate to you and say, you know, here's what needs to happen and blah, 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 as if there's a gavel, as opposed to really partnering with the patient and, and acknowledging the caregiver as a support mechanism. So I'd say it's, it's been over the years, it's been a 50-50 split. Sometimes mm -hmm. I can and they will call me first before they even have a conversation when he's in crisis because they want to they want me to be a part of that coaching you right right um, as opposed to you know sometimes you get you know the providers and they know exactly what to do and they're going to do it their way and they completely you know lock you out so i agree with you it would be beautiful to see you know some type of um advocate role um, uh, created, but I would say even more over, it would be beautiful to see caregivers um, that are uh, caregivers for those that are in mental health, for those folks to be acknowledged um, by the health system yes. um, in partnership mm -hmm. with the patient. And so um, I completely agree with you. And I would imagine that if everybody had that, we wouldn't have as much homelessness we wouldn't have as much, uh, you know, to, to your point about, you know, um, the, the lack of follow-up appointments and things mm -hmm. that you do have that, have that support system. So yeah, uh, that's, that's awesome. So let me, let me say this, the, um, I remember talking to one of the physicians in our area 
And um, she actually um, is um, the chief medical officer for one of the health plans. And she, she told me, this was about three years ago, um, that schizophrenia was the number one diagnosis in our region, that it, yeah. had, it was the number one diagnosis in the region. And it literally floored me. It floored me. And now this was this was right before COVID. So I could only imagine what that looked like, po- you know, like where we are now, you know. So mm-hmm. maybe it was about four, four or five years ago. But the point of it is I can only imagine how exacerbated, you know, that number is and you know what the needs might be. What's your theory on, you know, kind of where we are post-COVID? I know you talked a little bit about isolation, things of that nature, but what 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 do you um, suspect, you know, we're going to be up against over the next few years because of what we know about mental health and COVID? Yeah, it's going to be so tough over the next few years. And I it's very interesting that you said um, that she said that schizophrenia is the number one diagnosis because we know um, there's a lot of research that shows African-Americans and Black folks are more likely to be misdiagnosed with schizophrenia. They're more likely to be diagnosed with schizophrenia when um, they're white counterparts would be diagnosed with anxiety or depression or something else, even presenting with the exact same symptoms. Um, So that is something that I know is known, but I don't know if it's well as well known within the like mental health practitioner community. Like, I don't know if there's been anything done about that um, where psychiatrists or psychologists or, you know, mental health counselors or anyone sort of in, in that position has been trained to, you know, we know this. So make sure that when you're doing assessments, you sort of look out for your own bias or anyone else's or, you know, make sure that you're not necessarily giving out this diagnosis um, Mm -hmm. in ways that are inappropriate, right? Like, I don't know if that's being done. So- but that, but that, but that point that you just made, and and I just want to, I just want to unpack that a little bit. That's the brilliance behind the reason why we need people like you focusing on this work, right? Mm -hmm. Because imagine the people in my region that whether they, it's them or a loved one has been given that diagnosis. That is a very serious diagnosis. It is, yeah. Now we're talking about psychotropic drugs, which Mm -hmm. which are, you know, altering, you know, uh, 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 mentally. And so when you look at that piece of it, you go, oh my God, this could be, that could be a real bad thing in terms Mm -hmm. of, you know, people on the wrong medications and so on and so forth. And, and so, um, it's that piece that I would agree with you that we've got to really be courageous about moving forward in a way that brings light to issues like that. Because yes. it's either one thing that, okay, if, if let's just say that those schizophrenic diagnoses are all um, you know, relevant and 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 true and you know with little to be challenged from a documentation standpoint then we got a problem right even even if it's not what i hear you saying is we still got a problem right yes (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, because, because, you know, because we very well, you know, could have a lot of other things going on mm -hmm. that need to be managed and dealt with. And, you know, what I love about what we're talking about is bringing, we started patient partner innovation community because we needed to bring more vo voices of color um, into research, into quality improvement work because they just were not represented. Mm -hmm. And what was happening was I was seeing all of these patient stories and patient experiences being highlighted, but people of color and their experiences just were not. And so we started Patient Partner Innovation Community specifically for that reason. So it um, represents a more holistic um, uh, version of what America really looks like and, and what patient experiences really looks like. Um, and what I found, you know, from uh, patients that have participated, caregivers that have participated, family members that have participated, it really also opens up their mind, right, um, to the possibilities of how their story actually um, impacts change and drives mm -hmm. change and um, can shift um, thoughts, uh, uh, you know, from uh, leaders in healthcare as well as shift evidence, right? So to your point, the lack of diversity in much of the research that has existed historically um, in the work that you're doing, you know, advancing that forward can really shift the evidence because now we're talking about seeing a more holistic participation of people of color. Can you talk about, you know, like what that looks like in your space, meaning the voices of people and how that actually can and does drive change and impact in health and healthcare outcomes? Yes, yeah, of course. So I, because I do this work, I get a lot of good um, like messages and tags. I'm like, oh, listen to this. Um, and one of the things uh, that I saw recently, and actually I saw this because I follow her on LinkedIn, um, Natasha Bowman, who started a foundation to talk about mental health and mental health in the workplace specifically, um, is actually appearing in the latest issue of Cosmopolitan and just talking about like living with bipolar. And she has posted previously about like um, her daughter went to school and they were talking about people with bipolar disorder and, oh, you'll never lead a normal life and this, that, and the other thing. And her daughter raises her hand and goes, my mom has bipolar and she like goes to work and lives a normal life. And it's complete, it's, it, it is a thing that is manageable, right? Like you don't need to paint it as this um, doom and gloom end of life, right? And then not everyone with bipolar has the same disease experience, right? So I just, I believe in the power of sharing your experience and your stories, not just because, you know, it makes you visible in a world that often makes people invisible um, and sort of, you know, dismisses their experiences or, oh, those people don't exist or, oh, it's always going to be this way, um, but also as a form of just educating people, right? Like there are more possibilities out there than you are aware of. Right. And that is something that is so powerful for a lot of people, um, especially in, you know, these sort of hegemonic institutions <laughs> like medicine, um, where it's, it's you know, it, a lot of things are taught as being completely objective that are not completely objective, or they're taught as being, you know, this is what this looks like across the board, even though 
it's not. Um, one of my favorite speakers recently for the um, Google Health Equity Summit that just passed was talking about the field of dermatology and how you know, dermatologic conditions look different on black skin. And a lot of dermatologists don't know this because the books that they're taught with have almost zero representation of anyone who does not have white skin. Um, <laughs> so they're not even taught to look at like, here's what psoriasis would look like on a, on a black person, right? So if you have a black patient presenting with something, you don't even know how to diagnose it because you haven't seen it before. And that's a real problem, right? Mm -hmm. The same for these people who are going in to get a diagnosis and being diagnosed with schizophrenia, then that's not what they have because they're mm -hmm. black, right? Mm -hmm. It means that you can't treat your patients and you can't help them. And that's your whole job is to help your patients. Um, so, you know, we're helping because we're giving you the tools to be able to do that. And we're also creating a world where, you know, more people are able to help more people. Well, I am so proud of you. Oh, thank I you. I'm so excited for you. Um, I will say openly on this public forum that I am prayerful that we continue to find ways to partner and team together because yeah. I, we, we just share like vision. Um, I think the work that you are doing um, is, is so needed. And, um, and so I am going to, um, you know, basically just want to check back in with you. Uh, probably next year this time and yes ma'am how things are going because your work is meaningful your work is purposeful it is visionary you are an impact entrepreneur and moreover than all of those things I just said um driving having a focus on black and brown communities and improving outcomes for black and brown communities as it relates to mental health is something that we absolutely need so congratulations dr frazier on all that you've done thank you for joining me today on our uh, on our podcast and i will hold you to coming back next year and chatting with us again yes of course i look forward to it and thank you thank you for everything that you've said um yes i love this bold innovative and courageous um, way of approaching our work and doing meaningful work. Um, you know, this is what I've always wanted to do. So thank you. Follow the PPIC community online at atwhealth.com.